Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello all, thank you so much for joining me today. I have a really great episode for you with Kim from Roadmap Education and she is a teacher, fellow teacher on maternity leave who has turned her hand to careers counselling and offering that service to our VCE students. And I literally nod my head throughout this entire episode because she and I are so aligned with our ideas and what we believe good learning looks like and the issues that we see within the system. And she's incredibly insightful as someone with a maths background, as well as a training in careers and understanding how the ATAR works and its function. And we really analyze how well it's doing its job and even what we'd like as parents for our children going into education. So it's a really rich conversation. The sound quality at times isn't amazing. So I apologize for that. But I have also got some IGTVs from this so you can actually see us having a chat. So that's on my Instagram at EducatingLaura if you'd like to check it out. Also, before I forget, I wanted to let you know that Kim and I are doing a live on Instagram at 2 p.m. on the 10th of October, which is a Saturday. So if you have any questions, comments, feedback about this episode that you would like to share prior to our live, please let me know at EducatingLaura on Instagram. Just DM me. Otherwise, be amazing if you could tune in and support us in our conversations to support you as either students, teachers, lifelong learners, because obviously we'd love to connect and support you in any way that we can. I'm handing it over now to Kim. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Laura. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I'd love to start by asking you about what you were like as a student. Um, okay, so I I think the easiest way to say it is I was a massive nerd uh, as a student. I, I was really academic all the way through. I really loved to learn and I did pretty well at school. I was kind of lucky, I guess, because I was also quite sporty and things too. So I, I managed to like sit in that mid-range kind of area where, you know, you don't you don't get picked on and, and all of that kind of stuff, but still did quite well. So yeah, so that's where I fit in when I was a student. Yeah. What were some of your goals for yourself when you finished up high school? So yeah, things were a bit strange for me when I finished high school, I guess. I wanted to do really well. I, I went to quite an academic private school. And that was drilled into us from quite young <laughs> that, you know, we should be we should be aiming quite high. It was an enter score at the time, yeah, not an ATAR. Me too. Ages me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I definitely was aiming for that. I also have an older brother and we're quite similar academically and he had done mm. quite well. So I think that I understood, you know, what sort of enter score I could get. But in terms of what I wanted to do, I was super mixed up about it all Mm -hmm. I really had no idea I went through a few different phases at one point I decided I was going to be an occupational therapist and then I went to the Latrobe Uni Open Day and found out what an occupational therapist was and cried all the way home (laughs) my poor dad I didn't know how to handle that and so I think as well I did I did all maths and science but I'd 
I'd kind of ruled out a science degree at that stage and I was doing languages as well. So I thought about arts, but my dad wasn't a massive fan of that. And I come from a family of accountants. So they were pushing me towards commerce. Mm. I really, really didn't want to do. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do yeah. it in a double degree instead. So, yeah, so I, I ended up aiming for commerce law. Yeah, that was the end game by probably about this time of year 12, in September year 12. Yeah. So, yeah. What did you think an occupational therapist was before you found out exactly on that open day? I don't really know. I think... And I don't even know why I would have heard of one. Like, it seems yeah. like such a random job to have heard about mm. when, you know, unless for some reason you've, you've had the opportunity to work with one. Yeah. I, I knew what a physiotherapist was and I didn't want to do that. And I kind of thought that occupational mm. therapy was more about the looking after people aspect of it. Yeah. And then when I went and saw and it was, you know, it was all the equipment and, and, all, and I don't know, I just got really overwhelmed and was like, no, that's that's not it <laughs> that's not what I want to do so yep. yeah and all of a sudden yep. I was back to square one so you know that was an open day so it would have been August all of a sudden yep. I was like oh, I've got no clue no clue what I want to do yeah. <laughs> did that create a lot of angst for you at that time of year absolutely you know like I said I was aiming quite high I really just wanted to get back to the books like <laughs> I felt like that was what I should be focusing on and you know there was there's sacks coming up all the time and then exams were coming not long after and you know you've got all the other stuff as well friends were starting to turn 18 it was uh, so it was the year 2000 I was in year 12 so the Olympics were on uh, so you know there was all this extra stuff going on and I just felt like yeah. I felt like choosing what I wanted to do it was like another thing that I had to uh, had to tick off and I yeah. was frustrated that I couldn't just work it out that I couldn't just go this is what I should be doing yeah. and I wondered too as a math science student if that was even more difficult because in your math sciences you've got a right and Sorry. wrong it's this way or no yeah. way and I'm wondering if you were that that way inclined if that would be even more yeah, challenging I, I think that probably was a factor as you say you know you like to I was always you know I had a planner and I ticked off my work and um, I liked keeping up to date in everything mm-hmm. and then yeah, this was the, just the one area that I just couldn't, I couldn't work it out. And yeah, we had a, we had a careers advisor at school and he was lovely. And I actually ended up mm. connecting with him again later on when I was making changes, which was quite, yeah, that's a different story. But yeah, I, I just felt like nobody had any answers for me and I wanted someone to tell me what to do. And of course, I, yeah. I can't tell you what to do. You've got to, it's something you've got to decide for yourself. But I just felt like there should have been an easy option and there wasn't an easy option. Yeah. So did you end up achieving everything you'd set out to achieve by the end of that year? Well, I did in that I got into the course and I remember mm-hmm. I remember those moments. I remember getting my ATAR and knowing that it was above what I needed and, you know, being super into school, sorry, and being super excited about it. And then I remember... Actually went out back back in those those days. It was published in the paper the the night before, and we yeah. went to it. We went out to the city and got like early copies of the paper, and so I knew that I'd gone into the course, and I was really really excited about it. But yeah. yeah, then that's when everything sort of well, probably not straight away. Not long after that, it became quite clear to me that it was the wrong course for me. I felt okay. yeah, so I felt like I didn't fit in in either course. We used to. quite a lot of my friends went to the same uni as me from high school and so we used to sit around and it sounds terrible but we used to sit 
sit around and we used to play a game where we'd look at people and try and work out what course they were doing based on what they were wearing. Um, and so, you know, you could tell, like, <laughs> I know it's ridiculous, but, you know, the engineering students would, would be wearing jeans and a hoodie. And, you know, I was, I was doing commerce and the commerce students all looked like they were about to go out clubbing. And the law students looked like they were about to go for a job interview. So, and I was... Interesting. Yeah, I was wearing jeans and a hoodie, but I didn't want to be an engineer. So, um, yeah, it was was just, I didn't feel like I felt comfortable in either of those environments. And, yeah, at the same time, I'd been tutoring math. So our school had, like, they had a program that we could sign up to when we finished school. And so they would yeah. call us and so we would tutor kids from our from our old school. And I loved that. Yeah. I had a part-time job as well, just waitressing and stuff. And but that was what I really enjoyed doing. And so yeah, I got two and a yeah. half years into my degree. So it was a five year degree. And I was sitting with one of my friends and just going, I can't do this for another two and a half years. But if I don't do this, what am I gonna yeah. do? And she's like, I think kind of think you know what you want to do and I'm like but I don't she's like yes you do (laughs) and yeah we talked it through and all of a sudden became that bit more apparent that that teaching was actually what I would like to do and even that in itself was a bit weird because I think I had wanted to be a teacher early on but as I said I went to this academic school and I was talked out of it by the people there and then which you know that's always strange like now that I'm a teacher I'm like Surely some of those teachers had good parts of their jobs as well. Like, you know, I understand it, it you know, can be all-consuming and, yeah. and all those sorts of things, but they became teachers for a reason and you wonder why they couldn't have been a bit more encouraging. Absolutely. But also at the time I was very, as a kid, I was very shy. Mm. I remember, you know, telling telling my dad that I was going to quit law to be a teacher, and which, you know, was an interesting conversation. And I feel mm. like he at the time, he was like, do you, do you know that you'll have to stand up in front of a class of teenagers and, <laughs> you know, and talk to them and present to them? Yeah. And, yeah, it was, I think it was outside my personality and people could see that I, I you know, like to help people and, and that side of teaching. But, yeah, the, the standing up in front of a class thing, I think a lot of people questioned whether that was something that I would actually want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the end goal of law? Was it to be a lawyer or a solicitor, not a not a barrister? Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that was very clear from the start. It's like I'll sit out the back and I'll do like the like research for cases and stuff, okay. and then I'll give it to someone else and they can go and present it to the judge. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I was never going to do that part. <laughs> so yeah, so at that point, I went and saw the careers advisors at uni, and I said to them, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of being a teacher. If I'm going to be a teacher, I want to teach maths. What do I have to do? And yeah, they were great. They they sort of said, okay, let's you know quit. I, at that point, I'd done more commerce subjects and more, so they're like, quit law and then finish your commerce degree with maths electives. And then I did a dickhead after that. So I ended up finishing in five years, like yeah. I was going to. Yeah. But I have the most meaningless commerce degree in the history of all time because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's filled with maths. Yeah. collective and yeah then my dip ed yeah. so my methods are maths and business studies so I was saying to you earlier when we were planning this episode that obviously I'm an, I did a science degree but I did a biology science degree so I did I did chemistry and got out pretty quick I had to do chemistry in my first year to get yeah. into the genetic side of biology but 
not the way my brain is wired at all. Okay. So I'm interested in what it is about maths because I find it quite polarizing when you talk to students. Oh, I'd love to know what it is about maths that you love so much and that you why you want to spend your whole life or part of <laughs> your teaching revolving around maths and numbers. I'd love to know. I think, well, it starts from the fact that it was one of my strengths at school. So like I said before, I was quite shy and except in math. So maths was the only subject that I would put my hand up. Um, like every, you know, every single report I ever got, you know, was saying, you know, I needed to contribute more to class discussion, except for maths where I would put my hand up and I'd answer. Yeah. So it came from being a strength and being able to explain it to my friends. And I think I like... People often talk about the link between maths and languages, and I quite like languages as well. I did German from prep and um, to year 12 and did Mandarin from year 7 to year 10. And yeah. I think that it is that idea of a different language. It's, yeah, it's hard to explain, I guess. But, yeah, that idea that, you're, that you write something down and someone else understands it, but there aren't any words there, and people from different countries can understand it even if they don't speak English. Mm. And also, the, I think the other part is what you said before, I liked the idea of getting a right answer. Um, yeah. you know, it was uh, unlike English, which, you know, I've always loved to read and, you know, read a lot as a kid, but I always had trouble because I could, the answer wasn't right, do you know what I mean? Like there wasn't one thing. And yeah. I probably had a few teachers as well that were, they would almost tear you down if you didn't have what they thought was the right answer. And I think that 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 made me, you know, back away from, you know, the sort of English and humanities side of things. Yeah. I kind of like the idea that I'm not your average maths teacher. So (laughs) particularly like teaching specialist maths and things like that, you walk in as a young woman and, you know, you go to any PD or, or even walking into class and the kids are just like, oh, isn't our math teacher here today kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, right. And then they, yeah, and then they, but then they get to know you and I, like, I know for certain. So at my first school I was teaching specialist after a lo- lovely, lovely specialist math teacher retired and he was, you know, an older guy. But when I took over, there, there had been no girls in the class for years and then there were girls as soon as I was the teacher there. And, yeah, I think that, that that says a lot about the fact that people need to see themselves, you know, reflected in what they're, what they're yeah. looking at. And, yeah. you know, like because people often say, like I had kids often tell me and my English teacher friends would always, you know, say that it was a compliment. They're like, you look like an English teacher, you don't look like a math teacher. But, yeah, yeah to be able to, yeah. to go in there and just give them a different perspective, I think. Yeah, I, mm. I really enjoy that. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that too. Yeah. What do you see the role of a teacher to be? And has that changed over your experience practicing as a teacher? Uh, it's definitely, definitely changed. Like I was saying before, when I first started, it was very much about being the performer, you know, when you went to the class and presenting to, you know, yep. being up the front and presenting. And yep. that made me super super anxious I remember driving to school my very first day of teaching and I had year 10s and I was like what am I even going to do if I don't listen (laughs) you know I like I felt like I had nothing but I think as well because of the the different methods that I had I felt much more confident with maths than the business subjects that I was teaching and 
I learned very quickly in the maths class because I felt more confident in there that the kids actually quite liked it when I didn't know the answer straight away. And so if they asked a question, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, they ask. I do, yeah. Yeah, and particularly in something like maths when I think that often, you know, you ask the teacher a question, they go, oh, it's just this, 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 this. Whereas sometimes they'd go, how do you do this question? And I go, I don't know, give me a sec. And I'd go and write it on the board and I'd just, it's like, you guys work and I'll I'll just work through this. And they could see how I was thinking and so that helped them, but it also helped me see that that was actually good for them. And that, yeah. yeah, so that changed a lot in my head about how I would prepare for lessons and how I could actually teach them more effectively um, instead of just, you know, here are the notes, go for it. <laughs> um, yeah. And it became. That was how it was modeled to me, though. Absolutely. You know, when I was a student, that's exactly how I was taught. It was very yeah. much the teacher is the pinnacle of all information. They know all how they want to do it and how they expect you to present it is the right way. Absolutely. And then from there, I went into university in which it's lecturers mainly and tutorials. And I was very shy at uni with tutorials because I just felt didn't have enough to say at that time. I was still, you know, I think I was 17 when I started. Yeah. Yeah. I was just so nervous and shy and so I think I'm the same as you. It took me a long time to realise that my job wasn't actually to know everything. My job was to facilitate the learning in the room and I didn't have to be the hardest worker in there and that took a long time, a long time for me to deconstruct that thought. Yeah, that's. uh, I love the way that you said that and that's Mm. absolutely my experience as well. It's like all of a sudden once you work out that if you come up with a good activity – and almost throw it, throw it at them and go, see how you go, guys, let's do this. Yeah. And, you know, you, you do all this facilitating things, right. like you stop them yeah. at certain points and give them hints yeah. if you feel like they're missing something or whatever. But it's so much more enjoyable and they learn so much more. So, yeah, yeah. that change was really important for me and made me enjoy teaching a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel in that sort of transition between being the performer to giving that more sort of hands-on learning that you almost had to talk yourself out of the fact that you're a bit lazy. I felt that a bit like I feel like I'm lazy that I'm not doing more in the classroom. And when I started to see how much more they were getting out of it, I was like, I need to actually reframe this for myself. But it actually took yeah, time. Yeah, and I think it, it's difficult too because the kids didn't like it as well to start with because it's easier to sit back and just yeah. have to copy notes off the board. And so – and particularly in something like maths, they're like, just, I've got, I've got my book, yeah. miss, just write the examples on the board. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. I think I would go in and be all excited and then, you know, you'd get some of that pushback and you'd question it, like you say, and sort of think, oh, am I doing the wrong thing? But then you could see them learning and you could see them learning not only the content, but also how to learn. And that is really what I think our job yeah. is as a teacher because if they know how to learn they can learn anything if they know what you're teaching them then they know trigonometry like exactly it's, yeah yeah it's so important and but as Absolutely. you say it's not it's not how it was modeled to us and it's not an easy transition to make mm-hmm. but once you've made it you're there <laughs> i agree so what are the things that you're really passionate about as a teacher? Like what is it that you want your kids to have or to instill in your kids by the time they've left your class that year? So I think what we were talking about is the main thing there, just that that love of learning and that ability to learn for themselves so that they're not 
they they don't see themselves like you said before you know we've talked about the the teacher being the expert but that idea of the student being the empty vessel and mm. they're not that yeah. and if we can teach them that they can think for themselves they can work things out for themselves and they don't need someone to tell them everything then they're set because they can go and work out anything they want for themselves so yeah. that's the main aim i think yeah to get them thinking a little bit <laughs> yeah i agree i completely agree what advice would you like to give pre-service teachers or teachers that are considering a course in education the main thing i think is for them to look after themselves mm. i think that particularly as pre-service teachers and you know i was the same and i'm sure you were as well you you have that that sense of needing to prove yourself yeah. and you know to your mentor and to the the students in the class and to yourself and realistically it can be a really all-consuming job if you are trying to be on for the whole time you've got to you know look after yourself go and have lunch in the staff room <laughs> you know do all those sorts of things and actually make sure that when you get up in the morning, you're not like, oh, I've got to get through a whole other day because that's, you know, that's the worst. If you end up feeling like that, it would be awful. Yeah. Yeah. And also just to be yourself. I think that was the difference between me and the two classrooms as well. In a, in a business classroom, I was trying to be that expert, you know, business person, yep. which I knew at uni I wasn't. And then in the yeah. math classroom, I was confident. And so I was myself and I got along so much better with the students and, Yep. everything became easier so yeah don't believe them when they say all that you know don't smile till easter and yeah all that yep. sort of rubbish <laughs> because yep. it's it's just not true like they can they can smell it a mile. like if you're trying to be strict and you're not they can smell it a mile off so yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, they talk about, you know, students can smell fear, but they can smell inauthenticity absolutely. without a doubt. Yeah. yeah I agree. <laughs> because, and they just look at you like, like, yeah. are you serious? You, that's no, that you're not trying to do that. Because <laughs> like, well, yeah. you're looking out of it when it's not you. And yeah, so they can start to see it's not consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what roles have you held in education and how long have you been teaching now? Okay, so I started teaching in 2006 and I've been at two schools, uh, both government schools, one's a select entry one. And I worked, so I was teaching until late 2015 when uh, my son was born. And in that time, so at my first school, I worked like in student management kind of areas. So it was quite a big school. We had a junior school, middle school, senior school. So junior school was year seven and eight, middle school, nine mm. and 10 and senior school 11 and 12. So I started in the junior school and I was in an office with like the coordinators and everything, but I was the program manager. So I worked out any speakers that were coming to speak to the year levels about different things and organised all the big activities and stuff that happened there. And then later on, I moved to the senior school and that's when I started working sort of more in the pathways area. But at that point, I was doing more... Rather than working with students, I was doing sort of the back end stuff. So I was like working out the timetable for the next year and how many kids could be in each class. And that's a challenging role. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, I did, again, the maths brain in me quite liked the puzzle, putting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that all together. Yeah. But yeah, so I was doing that kind of thing and also looking at the data that came back and working with the different faculties to help them understand it and work out how they could use that to improve on the next year so you know 
little things like you could see that a particular class did really well in a topic and it's like well maybe that teacher should be sharing their knowledge a bit more with the rest of the team and yeah yeah yeah, those sorts of things so that was cool and then so in about 2011 I did the graduate certificate in career education and development and started working with the pathways team and that's when I got more into officially working with students so I guess the the story behind that is I'd had these really small specialist math classes in particular. You know, one of the classes, there was only six students in it, which was lovely. And, yeah, yeah, so I got to have really good discussions with them about what they wanted to do and I just really liked hearing them talk about it and, you know, finding out what they were interested in. And, yeah, so I sort of thought, well, if that's what I'm interested in, why don't I go get qualified so that I know what I'm talking about? And, yeah, and that all started there. So, once I moved to my second school, I part of my allotment was with the careers team. And then once I went on family leave as well, each year I've been back in term two and three, uh, just casually, but working specifically with year 12s and interviewing them, getting them all set up with their VTAC applications and stuff like that. So what did you learn as a careers counsellor in that course? So the course was really great. I loved it. There was a really big focus on actually like just counselling in general and that idea that of reflecting back to people what they'd said and things like that and I really liked that aspect of it because a bit like we were talking about that whole idea of the expert in the classroom yeah you can't know everything as a careers counsellor like but you can know how to find out the information so yeah you do have to kind of bring kids back a bit because like I did when I was in year 12 some of them come in going, just tell me, just tell me what I need to do. Like, um, and you you just can't do it. But yeah, I loved talking to kids about what they wanted to do. I was really interested in the sort of limiting beliefs that would come up with them about what they could achieve and, you know, the different pressures that were on them within themselves or from home or from their teachers, whether that was real or perceived. And, yeah, lots of focus on the ATAR from the kids and just trying to bring it all back down to, no, 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 let's forget that. What do you want to do? Talk to me about the things you like to do. And, yeah, just bring it right back away from school if I could to get them their headspace out of that so that they could actually get some insight into what they were interested in. So what are some of the biggest limiting beliefs you've seen come back at you through some of those conversations? I think there's lots of things. It, it depends on the family as well. So there'll be some kids, you know, kids okay. who, who are like, well, my no one in my family has gone to uni. And, you know, you look at them and you're like, but you're quite academic. Like, I think you like to study. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, I do. Like, um, So trying yeah. to have that conversation with them about whether they could do something that they hadn't seen someone in their family do before. Mm. A lot about the ATAR. So they'd want to do something, but they'd be like, well, I'm not, but I'm not going to get, I, I need 85 for that and I'm not going to get that or yeah I think they're probably the main ones but they're so strong yeah and then the opposite the opposite to that I have to be a doctor yeah I have to be a doctor how am I going to be a doctor and it's like oh let's just let's take that apart a little bit and see if if that is really what you want to be doing because you know there's lots of things that you can do where you're helping people who are unwell that don't actually require you to be a doctor (laughs) and so you know let's think about whether you want to do it because you want to help people or is it about the prestige and if it's about that then we need to think about things a little bit differently. Do you think that there are a lot of people that come in with an idea or a concept that has been 
given to them about, you know, whether that's societally or from family, that they think that in order to be successful, they must be this kind of person in society. Do you see that yes, a bit? Definitely. Um, and also mm. the opposite, like yeah. in terms of I couldn't do that. Like I can't be a teacher, for example, because, you know, my family doesn't mm. think that that's, that that's a good enough, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's funny. It's funny how yeah. many kids actually say that to you and it's like, <laughs> like, I am a teacher, thanks. Read the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it, it just is really interesting the way that they come in and they talk about certain occupations. It's like, oh, that's that's an interesting way to look at it because I'm not sure that that's actually the truth. I know it's your truth, but I don't know if it's actually the truth. Yeah. <laughs> what would you suggest to teachers that are asked by their students about careers and potential courses if they're not qualified as a careers teacher? Yeah, so I think a couple of things here. Firstly, I think teachers need to recognise that they are actually quite influential in their students' lives. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. unfortunately, sometimes you might, as a teacher, make a flippant kind of comment about something. Yeah. But if your students look up to you, then they sit there and go, oh, I hadn't even thought of it that way. And they might rule things out without even thinking mm-hmm. about it. And yeah, yeah, as you said, in terms of qualifications, the way that I see it is it's kind of like how it's drilled into us right through uni and then even as you start your teaching career, that if you take it to the analogy of the student that comes to you with a mental health issue and, you know, when that happens and it does, yeah. you know, you, you I'm sure would have yeah. had lots of kids come and tell you that they're not coping and yeah. we know as teachers that, you, you obviously support the student there and then, but then you refer them to the people that, that know what they're doing yep. and have contacts yep. and all of that kind of stuff. And so I think it's the same. I think it's okay to have a conversation with a kid about, you know, what they're thinking about, particularly if it's in your area, you know, if you're the, the legal studies teacher and they're thinking about law, for example. Yep. But then you sit there and go, did you know that Mrs. Such and Such, her office is downstairs yep. and she's the careers counsellor, or... Have you looked at the BTAC website or have you, do you know what I mean? Like you need to redirect them to yeah. to places where they can find the right information. I think there's been a lot of times where I've had really anxious kids rock up to the, the door yeah. and go, I was going to do this, but I've just been told that I have to do physics or I, I can't get in. Yeah. And you're like, okay, okay, yeah. okay let's, let's look at, let's go to VTAC, let's look it up. I'm pretty sure that's not right. Let's look it up. And, you know, it's not a prerequisite. And yeah. all of those things, you can just get kids so worried if you don't know what you're talking about and you tell them like it's, yeah. it's gospel. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember when I first started teaching, we were told by our school not to engage in a lot of those conversations yeah. and to ensure that they were going to the right avenue and to people that were trained. So I've always thought that that was what was told to me from a young age. So, but I like the comparison between somebody that comes to you with quite a serious mental health situation as well, because yeah, you wouldn't handle that. You'd get yourself into a really serious situation potentially. And it's the same thing because you can deter, you know, somebody's life course. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and particularly like like I said that you know that example before of the kid who thinks that they ha- all of a sudden thinks they have to have done a subject and they haven't, they might not then go and have that conversation with someone else. Mm-hmm. So they might just rule it out instead of running downstairs to the the careers office and saying, "I've just been told this," yeah. and yeah, like you say, all of a sudden they start doing something completely different yeah. with false information. Can you tell me about your business roadmap education? 
Yeah, so that's been an interesting little detour um, from being in the classroom. So basically my little girl was born this time last year and at the end of last year I was sort of, I was trying to think about, because I knew that I wanted to be home for a little bit longer, but I really loved, like I said, I'd been going back to my school to do the careers counselling and I really loved it and I was trying to work out how I could continue to do that, but maybe not in a school setting. And so I started my business and I just started to get, you know, the ball rolling and everything. And then COVID hit uh, and threw everyone for a loop. And yeah, but I guess within that, that showed me as well that, you know, all of a sudden there were all these students, Year 12 students in particular, who were you know just thrown into this chaos of are we we're at school and now we're learning remotely and how does that even work and all of those things so the business then gave me a vehicle for putting out free content that said okay look here you are this is what you can do and just giving them another voice so you know obviously they they've got their careers teacher at school but yeah just having another voice out there going don't stress this is, where, this is where we're at. This is what you need to be looking at. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think as well I have kind of a unique perspective because I'm a teacher and a careers and careers yep. trained. Lots of people are one or the other. And I know that when I've been in a school, it's been really interesting to talk to the other careers teacher and I hadn't really thought about it, but you have that other insight into what the student's year looks like and, the yep. you know, the the waves of the sacks and, and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, so you'd be going through something and she would say, oh, let's do it this week. And I'd be like, oh, they're going to have five sacks that week. Let's do it the following week yeah. and things like that. And so I think the same within my business, I can can kind of be supportive in that different way as well because it's like I know you've got this on. Don't worry about it this week. You can come back to it in a, in another couple of weeks because your VTAC application isn't due. You can just yeah. talk them through that process. Yeah, so that that's where that all came from. And, yeah, it's been really fun. I can, you know, we're all working on Zoom and things anyway. And yeah. so, yeah, so I can offer, uh, like I've got one-to-one coaching and then I've got this roadmap community where the kids can jump in and kind of just ask their questions within like a closed Facebook group. So, yeah, that's how that works and it just gives them a, a different option to their teacher who I know is super, super busy trying to get everything organised and yeah. not necessarily the full one-to-one coaching if that's not what they feel like they need. I'll put all your details in the show notes anyway to come and find you. you and I will say even from my perspective as a teacher, seeing everything you're putting out there is brilliant oh, and I would highly recommend anybody in this situation trying to navigate it to get on because your free content's incredible. Thank you. It really it's, is. It's really, it's been yeah. really fun yeah. to, to put it out there and just have some of those conversations and, uh, yeah, you know, getting some nice feedback from students as well, which is good. When deciding on subjects in VCE, what advice would you give parents and students in terms of looking towards a career or maybe if they don't know what they're going to do? How do you choose those subjects? Yeah, so it can be quite tricky. And I think what I always go back to is instead of trying to think really far ahead, try and bring it right back and think about what you enjoy now 
and how that can play out later on. Because the way I see it, when you're in school, you know that you have an idea. There might be 10 occupations that you know of. So, or, or even let's scale it back. Let's think about little kids. You ask a little kid what they want to be and they want to be a fireman or they want to be a teacher or they want to be, you know, there'll be a handful of things that they can think of. Then as we get older, we start to see some different things out there and maybe we know what our friends' parents do and all of a sudden, you know, maybe you want to be an engineer or you want to be a physiotherapist. But there's still so many jobs out there that you and I haven't heard of. And, you know, when you're 16, 17 and trying to make some of these decisions or even younger when you're first making VCE choices, I try to say just think back to what you enjoy now because you're going to be able to get to those other places if you're thinking about what you actually enjoy. So, yeah, yeah. so I, I sort of say look at the subjects you're doing, work out which ones you like, have a think about prerequisites is my only counter to that. You know, in general, yeah. it's worth, and I know I'm a math teacher and so, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of that in there as well. But it's yeah. a good idea to think about keeping a maths, even if you don't love it. But except for that, keep doing the subjects that you're enjoying. You're going to have the prerequisites for what you want to do. And, yeah, the, the only other yeah. thing, a little mantra that I've got going at the moment is you don't need a better ATAR, you need a better plan. And the way that I think about that is they should be completely separate. So when you're trying to think about what you want to do, you shouldn't be thinking about ATARs and the lowest selection rank for different courses and stuff like that. You think about what you want to do and then you work out a pathway to get there, no matter what score you get. So mm. people can kind of break that apart and not think about it, then yeah, that's that's what I think they should be doing. What if someone said to you, I really want a particular ATAR score. I know that if I did this language, it'll get marked up. If I do this maths, it'll get marked up. I don't want to do a particular subject because I know that that gets marked down. How do you have the conversations with them about deconstructing some of those really ingrained things about the way the game is in VCE? And you're right, like some students do really come at it like it is a game and you can play it that way to an extent, Mm. but, yeah, it's not what I would recommend. (laughs) Basically, we can talk about scaling and things like that. The general idea, or should I explain how the ATAR works that might, Go make for it. it work a bit better is that okay so so an ATAR is just a ranking so the highest you can get is 99.95 and the idea is if you get say an ATAR of 70 it means you're in the top 30 percent of the state the whole reason it's there is because it's an efficient way for tertiary institutions to choose the students that get offers for their courses but the really simplified version that I use of this is you've got a university course there's 50 spots Kids apply for the course, the people at the university who okay, who gets to come in, put them in order of ATA, cut it off at 50, and those kids get an offer into that course. Mm-hmm. So if we then go down an extra layer, in VCE, you get a study score for each subject, and that is a ranking as well. <laughs> and so amongst yeah. all the students in the state who do, who's doing that subject, and your ATAR is made up of the your top four, sorry, or I should say English, your English subject and then the top three. Yeah. Hopefully English yeah. is in your top four. Um, so challenging when you teach English and they're all doing it yeah. and I have to say to them, in your top four, well, I hate English. Why isn't you? My, 
I don't know, I didn't I didn't write the rules, but it is. Yeah. So you might as well do the work for it. Yeah. yeah. And and by that same token, I've seen kids who've done really, really well in their specialist maths, methods, physics, yeah. chemistry, and got less than twenty five in English and all of a sudden yeah. a whole heap of courses are wiped out as well as their yes. as well as their ATAR. So kids make sure that you listen to your English teachers. Um, but yes. yeah. The ATAR is there, that primary four, and then 10% of the any other two if they're doing uh, at most two more. And so from there, you get an aggregate score, and then that goes into the ranking to give you your ATAR. So if we go back yeah. to scaling your, your initial question, mm. the problem is, so students, as you say, they'll sit there and go, I know that specialist maths gets it goes up heaps, languages go up heaps, and then I won't do geography because that will go down, and I won't do, you know, and all different things like that. What they don't understand is it's not like a blanket rule that, say, you get an extra 12 points for specialist maths. You might get that many yeah. if you get 48 or, you know, or 45, yeah. but you don't get that if you get 20. And so... Yeah. What they don't understand is that, like, if we take maths as the maths is probably the clear example because it's an easy ranking system, like specialist is hardest and then methods and then further maths. And, yeah, so students sit there and go, well, I'll do specialist maths and get marked up. And you're like, if you get 20 in specialist maths, it might go up to 23. Or do maths methods and maybe you'll get 30. And, you know, so your 30 in maths methods is better than your 23 scaled up yeah. in maths. And that's what they don't understand. And the other thing that, that always gets them is if you're doing a subject that you don't enjoy and you have to work really, really hard in it, then it takes away from all your other subjects. So instead of spending yeah. two hours a week on every subject, whatever, however long you're going to spend, all of a sudden you have to put twice as much time into this subject that you hate to not even get a good mark at the end of it and you get lower marks in your other subjects. So, yeah, you know, that's the conversation you have, but whether students listen to you or not is another another issue. And sometimes they come around, but often you have to have that conversation with the parents as well and that can be really tricky because they'll be pushing going, oh, but they just haven't worked hard this year and they'll work hard next year. And, you know, as a teacher that that's not always such an easy you know habit to break if you haven't been studying hard so it it can be a really challenging discussion where do you think all of this comes from this scaling where do they hear it all from do you think I'm not really sure because yeah like I mean my advice as a teacher and as a careers counselor is to ignore it it all happens behind the scenes and like I said before just do the subject you like and you're going to do better in those subjects anyway Mm. I don't really know where they hear it and there are probably some teachers who do talk about it and maybe that's maybe yeah. that's a problem but yeah they all know they they all know about yeah they do. All, the, all the tricks and it does take a lot of work and you would have done it as a teacher as well where you, you're trying to have it you know you're trying to talk teach them something and they're on an ATAR calculator <laughs> on their laptop and Oh, and it's yeah. like, no, like, just pay attention and do your work and it'll all, it'll all play out how it's meant to. I used to have that a lot, actually, that they'd say to me, what do you think I'm going to get in yeah. in English or what do you think I'm going to get in biology? Because if I get this and then I've worked out all my other subjects, I've asked all my other teachers, the ATAL calculator says I'm going to get this. I said, yeah, but also because it is a rank against the cohort that hasn't been ranked yet, yeah. you have no idea. 
are. You have no idea who you're competing against in this particular cohort. So you really don't know. I don't even, how accurate is the ATAR calculator? Uh, well, I don't think that that can be accurate because like you say, it's all, it's all about, and, you know, particularly like if we come back to this year, like this year is going to be all over the place from, from that point of view. Yeah. So, you know, the, the ATAR calculators, uh, yeah, I hate them and, you know, would openly tell, tell my students yes. that when I was teaching. I'm just like, you are completely wasting your time on that because you are making five or six guesses yeah. about how you're going to go in your subjects yeah and then whatever calculation is happening back there is making a guess about your aggregate yeah which is then going to make a guess about where that ranking is going to be yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't i don't know how we get them out of that mindset though yeah i feel like it is it's so ingrained in our society yeah. and yeah if we could if we could get back to just enjoying learning and a little bit further away from an ATAR, i think everyone would be a lot happier yeah yeah, and I think too, I mean, I used to teach classes and they'd say, so what do I need to know from that? Like, for what? Like, or, or for the test or for like what's going to be on the yeah. assessment? And there's, I don't know how we get beyond that. And the only way I've actually seen it happen is if they're having so much fun that they forget. That's the only time I've ever seen yeah. it happen. If they're in a class and they're taking notes and they're doing things, especially at VCE, well, why is this important, miss? Why? And I used to have kids yeah. come and actually sort of get grumpy at me from other classes. Oh, we did this whole thing. It's not even important. I don't know why she made us do it or he made us do it. So it really is mm. very, as you say, ingrained in the learning at the moment and in education. Absolutely. And like we were saying before, that whole idea of moving away from being the expert, giving the notes up the front, the number of times when I'd be doing, you know, particularly when I was team teaching and doing these really, really great activities yeah. where there was so much good learning and then yeah kids would come up at the end and some of them would come some lovely kids would come up and they'd be crying mm. going in the other class they got notes and they wrote down yep. notes and I don't have any notes for this yep. and it's like oh but you understand it and they don't understand oh, I'm like can you tell me how to do it yeah can you do this question if I give it to you yeah then you don't need the note yeah but it, it's just so stressful for them and I can understand where they're coming from yeah but as you say, as a teacher, it's super frustrating. <laughs> and I do think too, it's also that idea of what does good learning look like? Because I think that we come yeah. to the education system and we are fed that it's kids sitting in rows, it's kids being quiet, it's a really engaged mm -hmm. teacher at the front. Like that's the picture that we get. And I don't know if that's film. I don't know if it's because that's how it was for us. I'm not quite sure, but that's not necessarily, in fact, I can tell you now it's not the best way to learn having kids out of there yeah. having kids having discussions having kids engage in separate learning that's more targeted to them all of that is so much more exciting yeah. for me to see but they feel like they need a full book of notes at the end of the day and if you don't provide them that yeah and and like you say unfortunately not all teachers are on board with that as well so yeah. i had i remember having a discussion when I was going on maternity leave with so the teacher had come in to like work with me when she was taking over and yeah we did did a lesson and they were as you say sort of up moving around and doing things in groups and stuff yeah. and she goes oh but how do you know that they know it at the end of the day and I'm like oh well I, I got round to all of the groups I got to talk to them and ask them questions and they had the opportunity to, to talk to me and yeah and I ended up and I'm like well, you know how would you have done it and she's like well I would have written notes on the board I'm like well if you write notes on the board how do you know that they know it <laughs> like if you've been up the front mm -hmm. the whole time yeah. 
and yeah, it, it is a thing. It's like, well, but they've got the notes in their book. I'm like, well, doesn't mean that they know it. That means that they've got something they can yeah. read later. But yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it is a really, it's a philosophical difference. It, it can be really tricky to balance that in a school when you've got people, you know, with such different philosophies of teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I got to the point actually where I would ask the kids how they wanted to learn stuff. Oh, really? How Towards did- the end. Like, yeah, when I became, yeah, when I got really quite confident, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say to them, so, you know, we need to learn this concept how would you like to engage with that information? And I would have so many ideas at junior school, yep. senior school. They were really upset with me making it their choice. They wanted me to tell them exactly what it had oh, to look like, really? how they had to learn it. Oh. And I did. I saw all the creativity and the ownership go a little bit by senior school because they wanted to get yeah. it right rather than having to go. It just it just seems like so much pressure, and I don't think that's just my no, school. I think that that's a societal not. a societal yeah, thing. I th- well, I think yeah. like you say as well in the in the junior years, they know that they're going to be assessed by you, mm. and so you know, if, yeah, like you know, as a teacher as well, if you're in the the junior years and something doesn't go quite right, you know, if something something yeah. like a pandemic happens, you can change things yeah. around and change the assessment and make it work. Whereas in the senior years, they know that the assessment is external and, yeah, it brings mm. with it a whole range of anxiety that that you can't, can't yeah. really control as a teacher. Yeah. The next thing I wanted to ask you, and I've seen this, I saw this when I was a mm-hmm. student and I've seen this a lot as a teacher, that if kids get an ATAR score that they weren't expecting, whether that's a lot higher, and I, I've seen it much more when the score's mm-hmm. higher than they expect um, or lower, to a degree and they go and they scrap everything that they've put down on their VTAC list and they put, like I remember at my school when we were going through, I was going through year 12, somebody wanted to be a nurse, they got 96, physio. I've seen people that, you know, wanted to be teachers, got 95 or maybe I should consider law now. Well, I don't don't know if any of that's got to do with what you wanted to do but I see it all the time. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's really, really hard because like you, like we've been saying, it's so ingrained in our society and I feel yeah. like they almost see it as when I when I say they, I mean, I, I did it too basically because I didn't know what I wanted to yeah. do. They, they see it as almost like you've been given an amount of money you can shop with. <laughs> like, you know, that's, that's what they like, say. The and so, yeah. Yeah, so they, they think it, it, it's really tricky because I think you've got to, You've got to break it down to work out what they were thinking to begin with. So when they were thinking about it originally, were they basing it on what they wanted to do or back then did they have the limiting belief that they weren't going to get what they needed to yeah. do what they actually wanted to do? Because there will be some kids that will be like that. They'll, you know, maybe they wanted to be a lawyer, but they're like, I'm never going to get that. And so they gale it back yeah. because it's not. But, yeah, um, they, they yeah. think about it that way pick something else and they go oh maybe I could go and do that but more often than not I think it's the opposite where they try they actually work out they know what they want to do and then yeah they get they get labeled almost with this with this ATAR and you know I think it comes Mm. back to heaps of things like I think it would be you know if you're if you're the kid with 95 and then you come in and say you're going to be a teacher I feel like there would be teachers that would question that you go to 
to Christmas lunch and auntie whoever <laughs> says, says, oh, but, but you got 95. Like, you know, now you could do yeah. this. And it is really tricky to, to try and decide, you know, what you should do. But I think the, the only advice that you can give is that the lowest selection rank you need to get into a course is a popularity contest. That's all it is. It has yep. no yep. no indication of how difficult the course is or, you know, what your salary is going to be when you start working or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, if people, yeah. if more can separate the ATAR from what they want to do, then I think everyone would be a lot happier. But as we've been talking about it, I feel yep. like it's so ingrained. It's, you know, the way that we celebrate yep. it and... You know, it's in the school newsletter and it's parent, you know, parents celebrate as well. I know that my dad was wrapped when I got a good score. It's just really tricky to take that away, I think. Yeah. Plus, it's a great marketing tool. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Because that's what parents want. Kids want to go to the school that gets the best results because they'll have more opportunity. And so the schools, I think, are pushed to then present that information. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know where... It, we start to shift it because it's everywhere. Yeah, and it's really hard to show, like, you know, I mean, we can talk about the ATAR and we could talk about NAPLAN and things like that in the same way. Yeah, like, it's the same way. Know, yeah, yeah from, a, from a school perspective, like, which school is better? The, the, the school that has kids that were going to do brilliantly anyway and then they do brilliantly or the kids that weren't maybe not going to do so well and the teachers work really hard with those kids and they, they end up, you know, getting good results. Like, I you know, would much rather my child went to the school that showed some innovation in learning and could actually give them that that love of learning and that ability to, to learn yeah. for themselves than the school where they're going to copy the notes off the board and kick out anyone who's going to get an ATAR less than 90 and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. But we know that because we're teachers and we understand that that's say how that. it works. And lots of people yeah. don't understand it. And so they, they don't see the problem with those, the website that tells you which schools get the best results and, yeah, all of those things. It's, it's really sad if you think about it too much, <laughs> I think. It is sad. And I think the thing is I think the schools are, are sort of in that situation where how do you show you're a good school if you don't do things like that, if you don't play to that audience? And I, I think in a way schools are subject to that issue in society rather than them yeah. necessarily putting it themselves. I don't I think that they're just kind of pawns in that. Yeah. So it's hard. I don't and as I said, I don't love it at all. Yeah. But I yeah. also understand the beast that it is, I suppose. Exactly. And 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 I think as well it, it goes back to the idea that most people in society don't understand what an ATAR is. So they don't yeah. understand that not everyone can get 90. It's not like yeah. it, you know, because of the nature of it being a ranking, that's not yeah. how it works. And like you say, I feel like schools need to, you know, they need students or they don't, they yeah. don't run. And, you know, so it makes sense that they have to, they have to publicise, you know, how they go and all of that. But it's just, it grates on you, doesn't it? <laughs> when you see it. If a student comes to you and doesn't really know what they want to do, but they'd like to have a plan, do you think university is always the best option? No, not necessarily. I guess what I would say to them, though, is I think that most students know if they want to study more or not. So I'd probably bring it right back down to that. It's like, okay, let's you're in year 12. This is where you're at. Do you want to study in the future or not? And that way they can say, they can either say, 
yes, but not next year, or yep. yes, and I'm happy to next year, or no, that's not what I want to do. And then, you know, if it's no, you can talk to them about other options. And if it's yes, then you can you can talk about gap years and deferring and, you know, checking that when you're applying for courses to make sure that you're applying for courses that allow you to defer because not all of them do. Yeah, and that way they've got some choice around it. But definitely, like, yeah, I certainly don't think that all students should go to uni. Yeah. Apart from anything, it costs a lot of money if it's not what you want to do. Yeah. So it's yeah. not for everyone, you know, we see in the classroom that not all not all people like to learn and that's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think what everyone needs to realise too is we don't need everyone to be a lawyer or a doctor. We need people yep. to empty our garbage bins. We need people to, yeah. you know, clean, uh, especially right now in the in a pandemic, like those are essential to look at somebody stacking shelves yeah. as having one of the most secure jobs right now, you know, when people Absolutely. don't necessarily aspire be, to they, that is an essential job. Yeah, you're always going to be employable, like, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're happy to do those jobs. Yeah. And even the, 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 other, yeah. the other thing is, you know, there's lots more push towards being an entrepreneur and that kind of thing these days you know and you, you don't have yeah. to go to uni for that you can there are certainly things that you can study and there are courses that might give you like a background in business and and stuff like that but if you have a particular skill you can do quite different things these days you know it, it's changed so much even since we finished school which you know I like to think it isn't all that long ago oh, yeah uh, but yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden it's becoming quite a long time ago but still <laughs> I know but I, I wonder too because there are so many jobs and as you say like being an entrepreneur whether whether that's purely online mm. and it can be now we're shying away a lot from that I think as a school system I don't think we're developing those sorts of skills and I'm wondering you know where or when that comes into the curriculum or how that happens I don't look I'm not asking you to have an answer for that <laughs> I just think it's an interesting it's definitely definitely an interesting point because I think unfortunately education because of how it how it is everyone has to be on board with it it's always going to lag behind a little bit yeah, okay. um, what you know what's happening and unfortunately at the moment everything moves so 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 quickly yes. that yeah all, all of a sudden because I mean like education if you think about the subjects and things yeah we were just joking about how long it's been since we're in high school it's the same subject yeah. you know yeah. it's like Slight differences, but you know, there's not there's not much difference there. Yeah. And yeah, you know, things have changed so much in that time and have probably changed more in the last five years than in the 15, 10, 15 before that. So yeah. it will be interesting to see how that all works. You know, things like coding are starting to come in, you know, with algorithmics and and stuff like that. But there has to be some change there. And, you know, change to the assessment, I think is most important <laughs> when it comes to that. Which leads me to my next question about your thoughts about the current education system. You've obviously given me yeah. some, but also that idea that 12 years of education culminating in one score at the end, how do you feel about all of that? Uh, I feel it's so, so flawed and it, it's flawed for so many reasons. So I hate it from the student's perspective because it puts so much pressure on one year basically um you know maybe two if they yeah. they do something early but 
But one year of edu- of like learning and, you know, those couple of assessment tasks that they do, it's just so, so much pressure for them. I hate it from a teacher point of view because like we've discussed as well in this conversation, you know, you can't get to the, the excitement and the root of the learning because you're too busy trying to make sure that you tick all the boxes so that you know that you've covered what they need for the SAC or the exam. But also I don't think it works for the whole reason it was put in there. And like I said before, the whole reason we have these scores is to be an efficient way to get students into tertiary courses. But I just don't see it being a good way to do that, really. I can see that it's efficient. I can see that it's cheaper and quicker to do it that way. But... There's nothing about getting a particular score that is going to say that someone's going to be a better physiotherapist than someone else. Like it just seems really, really silly. And so I love that that system is changing slightly and I think that that's where the change change actually has to come from the tertiary system and looking at different things to accept students into courses. So the more interviewing they do or portfolios or even feedback from schools and you know that is fraught with danger as well because you know you don't know which schools are going to be honest and which ones won't be but you know the more that we have different things in that whole process I think that 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 will change things and that's where it has to go where that's where all of a sudden it's normal about one year of schooling because it can be about the awesome program that you did in year nine that developed leadership skills and it can be you know about Mm. a whole range of different experiences and opportunities and work experience and team sports and you know all those sorts of things that you do as a student that actually is what you use when you get out into the real world and you're working. Yeah, so ho- hopefully that's where it goes, yeah. but I think it's still going to be a while away, unfortunately. <laughs> so. To me, that looks a little bit more like the American mm. system. You know, they have their assessment tasks that they have to do and they get a score. I can't remember what the score's called now. Uh, um, SAT? I don't know. I think it's, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Sorry, Americans, if you're listening and I've got that wrong. But they have that. And then they have all of the extracurricular stuff and the community-based stuff that they then have to show and then they have a personal essay. So it all goes in together. But then the idea to me is that, well, they're just doing that community stuff to put on a resume or they're just doing – so it's then the – and this is the thing, I don't know how we – how do we make it about that love of learning rather than, again, well, I want to get into that university. I'm going to have to sit an interview, so I'll have to – do my interviewing skills. I'll have to write this personal essay. I know somebody who did a really good personal essay. I'm going to ask them yeah. what to put in in it. I'm then going to do all the community-based stuff because I know that this university expects that. So, again, it comes down to that ticking off. You know, that's how I see that kind of system. So I, I see what you're saying. I think it is better than just one score. But, you know, I'm wondering whether or not there will just be an additional pressure. I don't know. And I think you're right, unfortunately. I, I feel like the way we were talking before about there are some students who come with like a game plan of how to, you know, crack yeah. the code of VCE and, um, you know, get the yeah. best data. Yeah there's always going to be a group of students that are doing that and there will always be people who are willing to exploit that as well. Like you said, you know, the the person who wrote the the perfect, uh, I can't think of the word now, but the statement or whatever that they they need to put into their application. And, yeah, it is really tricky. The only thing that I can think of is that at least it's over a bigger period of time. So, you know, if it's, if it's starting 
in like year eight or nine when they can start to, you know, like we did some work experience in year nine, I'm sure, back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, just little things like I think we could we could go and work in like a childcare centre, an aged care centre or Urella, I think were the three options that we could go to. And it was yeah. just about doing some community service. And, yeah, I think the more that students get exposed to that, even if their intentions aren't perfect to start with, at least they've had some experience, yeah. you know, out in the real world instead of just head in a textbook and nothing else. Um, yeah. 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 So other than this sort of assessment stuff that we've been talking about, do you have any other hopes for education in the future? Probably nothing that we haven't talked about already, but that idea of getting back to that love of learning, if we can if we can try to, to get some of that back in the classroom, as you were saying before, particularly in those senior years. Yeah. If we could fix that, I think that things would be pretty good, but I don't have any easy answers yeah. for it, unfortunately. No. Yeah. No, nor do I. <laughs> and I don't, I, don't know, I yeah. don't know that anyone has any easy answers for that at the moment, but we can just keep trying. <laughs> yeah. As I've said so many times, it's not just one system. There's education that's built on societal expectations, it's built on family expectations, it's built on like it's so many things that would have to fall down in order to change it all. And so that's why I think it's really challenging. And I think most people have the right intentions, but they are restricted by the structure that we are working in. Yes, absolutely. Because even even when I've got kids coming in and they've got pressure from their parents to do certain, certain occupations and stuff like that, you know it's just because they want their kids to be happy and financially stable. That's, you know, that's where they're at. And who doesn't want that for their kids, you know? And so you can understand where it comes from, but it's about trying to take apart that maybe that's not the only avenue to get there and that there are lots of ways that people can be happy and still make money and have a wonderful life. Um, Yeah. I agree. Last question for you is what is one of the biggest lessons you have ever learned? It doesn't have to be academic or school-based, just a really big lesson. I think for me it's about trusting myself and yeah. trusting to, to be myself and to, to put myself out in the world and understanding that by doing that you're, you're more likely to be happy and fulfilled and, you know, in your work or whatever it is and also recognizing that the people around you that love you and you know want the best for you might not always understand why you make certain choices and that that's okay doesn't mean you're making the wrong choice it means that they're a bit like we were talking about before they're working from their own circumstances and the own stories that they've got in their heads and you, you kind of just have to trust yourself anyway which isn't always easy and it's taken me a long time to get there but yeah I think I've talked about this in the podcast before. We really are societally almost indoctrinated from a long age to give our power away. Yeah. You know, parents know best, teachers know best, uni knows best, politicians know best is ingrained societally. And I think that even I'm learning that lesson currently, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I really have been learning it over the last few years. I definitely was not in that place for a long time and definitely not at school. Definitely not at school. Yes, and I agree and I feel like I've – a lot of that has come since I've had kids yeah. as well. And I, I feel like it is about that break, like, because you do sort of get on a treadmill and, you know, you're going and you're going and you're at school and then the na- next natural step is to go to uni and then, you you know, you work and blah, blah, blah. And then you stop and you have kids and you go, oh, maybe that's not the only yeah. way. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it, it does make you think about things a little bit differently. But 
not everybody has that break or the, the room to make changes, I guess. If we can help people understand that, and as you say as well, at a younger age, then, you know, people can start doing what they want sooner, <laughs> which would be yeah. lovely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I've loved our conversation. It's nice to chat to teachers from other places, you know, that have similar yeah. to me, which is so nice. It's been really great connecting with you as well. Like you said, like we, we haven't known each other, you know, stumbled across each other on Instagram. Yeah. And yeah, as soon, as soon as, you know, I started seeing some of the things you posted yeah. and listening to the podcast as well, I'm like, she's my kind of person. <laughs> like, I, I think, love that. That's I think, great. Quite, I think we're quite similar. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been great to chat. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.